Chapter 5 of Fairy Fingers by Anna Cora Marwat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 5 Heartbeats. Maurice must have found his equestrian exercise particularly agreeable upon that day, for he returned to the chateau so late that no one saw him again until the family assembled at dinner. Bertha was unusually silent and distrait, not a single smile rippled her slumbering dimples, and she answered at random. She did not once address Maurice, to whom she usually prattled in a strain of merry bandage, and he invents the same constraint towards her. As soon as the ladies rose from the table, Madeleine retired to her own chamber. Her preparations for the morrow demanded all her time. The Count retreated to the library. Maurice and Bertha were on the point of finding themselves tete-a-tete, -tete, for the Countess just remembered that she had a note to write, when her little plot to leave the cousins together was frustrated by the entrance of the Marquis de la Salle. The clouds suddenly melted from Bertha's countenance when the old, dull nobleman was announced. She greeted him with an air of undisguised relief, as though she had been happily reprieved from impending calamity. The lively warmth of his salutation attracted the Marquis to her side, and he remained fascinated to the spot for the rest of the evening. The Countess was too thoroughly well-bred to allow herself to look annoyed, or, even in secret, to acknowledge that she wished the Marquis elsewhere, but she was disconcerted and puzzled by the unaccountable change in Bertha's deportment. So passed the evening. The next morning, when Bertha appeared at breakfast, everyone, Maurice perhaps excepted, remarked that she seemed weary and dispirited. Her brilliant had lost something of its wonted luster. Her unusually clear blue eyes looked heavy and shadowed. Her rosy mouth had a half-sorrowful, half-fretful expression. It was evident that some nightmare preyed upon her mind, had broken the childlike sound sleeping that generally visited her pillow. When the ball that was to take place that evening was mentioned, she brightened a little, but quickly sank back into her musing mood. "'You must give me some assistance this morning, Bertha,' said Madeleine, as she poured a few drops of almond oil into a tiny cup. "'Your task shall be to gather, during your morning walk, this little basket full of the greenest and most perfect ivy leaves you can find, and bring them to the chalet.' Then, if you feel inclined to aid me further, I will show you how to impart an emerald brilliancy to every leaf by a touch of this oil and a few delicate manipulations. I expect you are inventing something very novel and tasteful, remarked Bertha, with a little more indifference than was natural to her. You shall judge by and by, replied Madeline, as she left the room with the cup in hand. She carried it with her work to a dilapidated summer-house, embowered by venerable trees. Madeline's taste had given a picturesque aspect to this old chalet, and concealed or beautified the ravages of time. With the assistance of Baptiste, she had planted vines which flung over the outer walls a green drapery, 
intermingled with roses, honeysuckle, and jasmine, and, within doors, a few chairs, a well-worn sofa, a table, and footstool gave to the rustic apartment an appearance of habitableness and comfort. This was Madeline's favorite resort when the weather was fine, and not a few of the magic achievements of her fairy fingers had been created in that romantic and secluded locality. There was glamour, perhaps, in the sylvan retreat that acted like inspiration upon hands and brain. Bertha usually flitted about she worked, wandering in and out, now and then sitting down for a few moments, and reading aloud by fits and starts, or occasionally taking up a needle and making futile efforts to busy herself with the womanly implement, but always restless, and generally abandoning her attempt after a brief trial, for Bertha frankly confessed that she admired industry in her cousin without being able to practice it in her own person. This morning, however, Madeline sat alone. The fleecy tarlatan that rolled in misty whiteness around her, gradually assuming the shape of female attire. Bettina had been dispatched to Wren's on the day previous to procure this material for Bertha's ball gown, and had not returned until late in the evening, yet the dress was cut out and fitted before Madeleine closed her eyes that night. The first auroral ray of light that stole into her chamber the next day fell upon the lithe figure of the young girl folding tucks that were to be made in the skirt, measuring distances, placing pins here and there for guides, and, as the dawn broke, she sat down unwearily and sent her needle in and out of the transparent fabric with a rapidity of motion marvelous to behold. After a time, the rickety door of the chalet was unceremoniously pushed open, and old Baptiste entered. He deposited a basket filled with ivy leaves upon the table, and said that Mademoiselle Bertha desired him to gather and deliver them to Mademoiselle Madeleine. "'Has she not taken her usual walk this morning, then?' asked Madeleine, in surprise. "'No, mademoiselle. Mademoiselle Bertha only came to me as I was weeding the flower-beds, and immediately went back to the chateau. Have I brought mademoiselle enough ivy?' "'Quite sufficient, thank you. But I did not mean to consume your time, my good Baptiste. I thought mademoiselle Bertha would take pleasure in selecting the ivy herself.' "'Mademoiselle Madeleine knows how glad I always am to serve her,' answered Baptiste. For another hour Madeleine sat alone, singing, in a soft murmur as she sewed, while her soul was singing at a work apart behind the walls of sense. The sound of a manly step upon the pathway silenced her plaintive melody. The next moment the vines that formed a verdant curtain about the otherwise unprotected casement were gently drawn back, and a face appeared at the window. "'I thought I should find you here on this bright morning, Mademoiselle Madeleine. May I enter?' asked Gaston de Bois, speaking with so much ease that his only stammer came upon the last word. "'If you please.' A noble slave of the needle, he continued, still looking in at the window. The daughter of a duke with the talents of a dressmaker. 
Where will genius next take up her abode? Genius, since you are pleased to apply that sublime appellation to my poor capacities for wielding the most familiar and harmless weapon of my sex, is no respecter of persons, as you see. You are an early visitor today, Monsieur de Bois. Of course, you are on your way to the chateau. I have let, let, let letters for the Count. He entrusted me yesterday with a package to take to, with me to the Chateau de Tremazon, where I was engaged to pass the evening, and I have brought him the replies. But before I play the postman, let me come in and talk to you, since you are the only person I can ever manage to talk to at all. Come in, then, and be welcome. Gaston accepted the invitation with alacrity. He took a seat and, regarding her work, remarked, This must be for tonight's ball. Is it your own dress? Mine? All these tucks for a dress of mine? No, indeed. It is Bertha's, and I hope she will like the toilette I have planned. Each tuck will be surmounted by a garland of ivy, left open at the front and fastened where it breaks off, on either side with blush roses. Then, among her luxuriant curls, a few sprigs of ivy must float, and perhaps rose peep out. You may expect to see her looking very beautiful tonight. Monsieur de Bois sighed and remained silent for a moment. Then he resumed the conversation by asking, And the dress will be ready in time? Before it is needed, I trust, for it is well advanced, Fortunately, my aunt's dress was completed last night, but it was not new, only a fresh combination of materials that had already been employed, yet she was kind enough to be highly pleased. Well, might she be. You are always w w w working for the good of the whole family. What other return can I make for the good that I have received? replied Madeleine with emotion. Can I ever forget that when I was alone in the world, without refuge, without friends, almost without bread, my great-aunt extended to me her protection, supplied all my wants, virtually adopted me as her own child? Can I offer her too much gratitude in return? Can I lavish upon her too much love? No one knows how well I love her and all that is hers. How well I love that dwelling, which received the homeless orphan. People call the old chateau dreary and gloomy. To me, it is a palace. Its very walls are dear. I love the trees that yield me their shade, the parks that you no doubt think a wilderness, the rough, unweeded walks which I tread daily in search of flowers, this ruined summer house where I have passed hours of delicious calm, all now familiar objects that I first saw through my tears before they were dried by the hand of affection, and I reflect with joy that probably I shall never quit this heaven-provided home which has been granted to me. I have been so very happy here. Really? said Gaston, doubtingly. I fancied sometimes when I saw the Countess and Count Tristan so, so, so severe to you that... Have they not the right to find fault with me when to please them? That is only what I expect, and I ought to bear it patiently. 
I will not pretend to say sometimes when I have been misunderstood and my best efforts have failed to bring about the results that gratify them, I will not say that my heart does not swell as though it would burst, but I console myself by reflecting that some far-off future day will come to make amends for all and bring me full revenge. Revenge? You revenge? cried Gaston in astonishment. Yes, revenge, laughed Madeleine. You see what a vindictive creature I am. I am positively preparing myself to enjoy this delightful revenge. I will make you the confidant of my secret machinations. This old chateau is lively enough now, and the presence of Bertha and Maurice preserved to my aunt the pleasant memory of her own youth. But by and by Maurice will go forth into the world, and perhaps we shall only see him from time to time at long intervals. Bertha will marry. At these words, Monsieur de Bois gave a violent start and, stammering unintelligibly, rose from his seat, upsetting his chair, walking to the window, brought destruction upon some of Madeleine's vines by pulling them violently aside to thrust out his head, then strode back, lifted up the fallen chair, knocking down another, and with flushed countenance seated himself again. Madeleine went on, as if she had not noticed his abrupt movement, Solitude and ennui might then oppress the Countess and even Count Tristan and render their days burdensome. I am laying up a store of materials to enliven these scenes of weariness and loneliness. I have made myself quite proficient in piquet that I may pass long evenings playing with the Count. I have noted and learned all the old airs that his mother delights to hear, because they remind her of her girlhood, and I will sing them to her when she is solitary and depressed. I will make her forget the absence of the dear ones who must leave such a void in her life. In a thousand ways I will soften the footsteps of age and infirmity as they steal upon her. That will be the amends time will bring me. That is the revenge I see. Ah, Mademoiselle Madeleine, you are an angel. So far from an angel, answered Madeleine gaily, that you make me feel as though I had laid a snare by my egotism to entrap that ill-deserved compliment. Now, let us talk about yourself and your own projects. Do you still hold to the resolution you communicated to me in our last conversation? Yes. Your advice has decided me. I should have been very impertinent if I had ventured to give you advice. I can hardly be taxed with that presumption. We were merely discussing an abstract question, the use of faculties accorded us, and the best mode of attaining happiness through their employment, and you chose to apply my general marks to your particular case. You drew a picture which made me feel what worthlessness material I am, and this incited me to throw off the garment of slothfulness and put on armor for the battle of life. So be it. Now tell us what you have determined upon. 
my unfortunate impediment is my great drawback. Maurice hopes to become a lawyer, but that profession would be out of the question for me, who have no power to utter my ideas. I could not enter the army, for what kind of officer could I make? How could I even manage to say to a soldier, go and brave death for your country? I should find it easier to do for myself than to say it. Some diplomatic position I might possibly fill, as speech, according to Talleyrand, has given to men to disguise their thoughts a man who st stammers in much danger of making known his private meditations. That is ingenious reasoning, replied Madeleine. I hope something will grow out of it. It is growing already. Yesterday, at the Chateau de Tremazon, I had a long interview with Marquis de Fleury. He expects to be sent as an ambassador to the United States. We are old friends. We talked, and I told... You told him your views, said Madeleine, aiding him so quietly and naturally that her assistance was scarcely noticeable. And what was concluded upon? For your countenance declares that you have concluded upon something. If the Marquis goes to America, you will perhaps accompany him? Yes, as, sec as secretary, cried Madeleine. That will be an admirable position. But America, oh, it is a long, long distance from Brittany. That is good news for you, but there are two persons to whom it will cause not a little pain. To whom? inquired Gaston with suppressed agitation. To my cousin Bertha and to me. Mademoiselle Bertha, will she heed my absence? She, will she? asked Gaston confusedly. Yes, but take care. If you let me see how deeply the idea affects you, you will fail to play the diplomat in disguising your thoughts, for I shall divine your secret. My secret? What, what secret? What is it that you divine? What do you imagine, I mean? That you love Bertha? Love her as she deserves to be loved? I, replied Monsieur de Bois, trying to speak calmly, but finding the attempt in vain, he burst forth, Yes, yes, it is but too true. I love her with my whole soul. I love her passionately, love her despairingly, eh, despairingly. Why despairingly? Alas, she is so rich, he answered in a tone of chagrin. True, she is encumbered with a large and unencumbered state. A great misfortune for me, sighed Gaston. A misfortune which you cannot help, and which Bertha will never remember when she bestows her heart upon one who is worthy of the gift. How can she ever deem me worthy? Even if I succeed in making myself a name, a position, even if I become all that you have caused me to dream of being, this dreadful impediment, this stammering which renders me ridiculous in the eyes of everyone in her eyes even will 
your stammering is only the effect of timidity answered madeleine soothingly believe me it is nothing more as you overcome your diffidence and gain self-possession you will find that it disappears for instance you have been talking to me for some time with ease and fluency to you ah yes with you i am always at ease i have always confidence it is not difficult to talk to someone for whom i have so much affection so much and yet not too much that proves fluent speech possible but to anyone else if i venture to open my heart i hesitate i get trouble i i stamper i make myself ridiculous not at all but i do reiterated gaston warmly fancy a man saying to a woman he adores yet in whose presence he trembles like a schoolboy or a culprit i love you the fact is began madeleine laughing good-naturedly there there cried monsieur de bois with a gesture of impatience and discouragement the fact is that you laugh yourself you you who are so forbearing pardon me you mistook you cannot help it i know it is precisely that which discourages me and yet it is very odd i have one method by which i can speak for five minutes at a time without stopping or hesitating indeed why then do you not always employ that magical method in society it would hardly be admissible in polite circles would you believe it it is very absurd but so is everything which appertains to us unfortunate tongue-tied wretches i i i do not dare you will only laugh at me again no i promise i will not well then my method is to become very much animated and to lash myself into a state of high excitement and to hold forth as though i were making an exordium to talk with furious rapidity using the most forcible expressions the most emphatic ejaculations then unloose my tongue my words hurl themselves impetuously forward as wolves in battle only as you may conceive this discourse is not of a very classical nature and hardly suited to the drawing-room especially as i receive great help and rush on all the faster with few interjections that come under the head of, of, of the swearing swearing was all madeleine could say controlling a strong inclination to merriment yes downright swearing employing strong expletives actual oaths oh it helps me more than you can believe but just imagine the result if i were to harangue mademoiselle bertha in this style she would, would, would think it very original and as she has a joyous temperament she might laugh immoderately but she likes originality and the very oddity of the discourse might impress her deeply then too she is very sympathetic and would probably be touched by the necessity which compelled you to employ such an extraordinary mode of expression ah oh, if it were only true i think it is true thank you thank you madeleine was opening a skein of silk and extending it to monsieur de bois she said will you assist me it is for bertha i am working will you hold this skein it will save time gaston well pleased stretched out his hands 
Madeleine adjusted the skein and commenced winding. Besides, who knows, she went on to say, it seems to me very possible that the very singularity of such an address might captivate her and give you a decided advantage over lovers who press their suit in hackneyed, stereotyped phrases. You think so? I should not be surprised if such were the case, because Bertha has a decided touch of eccentricity in her character. If only I dared to think that she had ever given me the faintest evidence of favorable regard. When she sees you embarrassed and hesitating, does she not always finish your sentences? It is stammered Gaston. Possible, said Madeleine. Yes, I have observed that she invariably does so, if she imagines herself unnoticed. I have besides remarked a certain expression on her transparent countenance when we talked of you, and she has dropped a word now and then. What, what words? But no, you are mocking me cruelly. It cannot be that she ever thinks of me. I have too powerful a rival. Rival? What rival? asked Madeleine in genuine astonishment. The Vicomte Maurice. The silken thread snapped in Madeleine's hand. You have broken the thread, remarked Monsieur de Bois. I hope it was not owing to my awkward holding. No, no, answered Madeleine hurriedly, and taking the skein out of his hand, but tangling it inextricably as she tried to draw out the threads. You, you think my cousin Maurice loves Bertha? she asked hardly aware of the pointedness of her own question. I do not exactly say that. But how will it be possible for him to help loving her? Good gracious, Mademoiselle Madeleine, what have I said to affect you? How pale you have become. Madeleine struggled to appear composed, but the hands that held the snarl scheme trembled, and no effort of will could force the retreating blood back to her face. Nothing. You have said nothing. You are quite right. I, I, I dare say. Why, you are just as troubled and embarrassed as I was just now. I? Nonsense. I'm, I'm only, only. And you stammer. You actually stammer almost as badly as I do, exclaimed Gaston in exultation. Ah, Mademoiselle Madeleine, I have betrayed to you my secret you have discovered yours to me. Monsieur de Bois, I implore you, do not speak another word on this subject. Enough that if I had a secret, there is no one in the world to whom I would sooner confide it. Why then, you do now wish to hide from me the preference with which you honor your cousin? Madeleine replied in a tremulous tone, You do not know how deep a wound you are probing, how heavy a grief you. Why would it be a grief? What obstacle impedes your union? An insurmountable obstacle, one that exists in my own heart. How can that be, since that heart is his? Those to whom I owe everything, replied Madeleine, cherish the anticipation that Maurice will make a brilliant marriage. 
even if my cousin looked upon me with partial eyes, could I rob my benefactors of that dearest hope? Could I repay all their benefits to me by causing them a, such a cruel disappointment? Could I never be so ungrateful, so guilty, so inhuman? Therefore, I say, the obstacle lies in my own heart. That heart revolts at the very contemplation of such an act. I pray you, never speak to me again on this subject, and give me your word that no one shall ever know what I have just confided to you. I, I mean, that you suspect what you suspect. It may be erroneously. I promise you, on the honor of a gentleman. Thank you. A step was heard on the path leading to the summer house. Gaston looked towards the open door and said, It is the Count. At the same moment, he withdrew to the window. Madeleine, who had risen, resumed her seat, and, as she plied her needle, half buried her agitated face in the white drapery which lay in her lap. The Count entered with downcast eyes and flung himself into a chair. He had not perceived that any one was present. Madeleine found it difficult to command her voice, yet could not allow him to remain unaware that he was not alone. After a brief interval, she said in a tolerably quiet tone, "'I am afraid you have not chosen a very comfortable seat. I told old Baptiste to remove that chair, for its legs are giving signs of the infirmities of age.' At the sound of her voice, the Count glanced over his shoulder and said brusquely, "'What are you doing here?' "'Playing Penelope, as usual,' the Count returned harshly. "'Always absorbed in some feminine frippery, just as if—' "'Just as if I were a woman,' answered Madeleine, forcing a laugh. "'A woman in your position should find some less frivolous enjoyment.' Madeleine replied in a tone of bandage, that would have disarmed most men. How cruelly my cousin pretends to treat me. He actually makes believe to scold me when I am occupied in the interest of his family, when I am literally shedding my blood in their behalf. She added playfully, holding towards him the white dress upon which a slight red stain was visible, for the needle grasped by her trembling hands had pricked her. "'Good heavens, Madeleine, when will you lay aside those intolerable airs and graces which you invariably assume, and which should be very charming in a young girl of sixteen, a girl like Bertha, but in a woman who has arrived at your years, a woman of twenty-one, become ridiculous affectation?' Monsieur de Bois, enraged at the injustice of this rebuke, could control himself no longer, and came forward with a lowering visage. The Count turned towards him in surprise. Ah, oh, Monsieur de Bois, I was not aware of your presence. I must have interrupted a tete-a-tete. -tete. You perceive I am now and then obliged to chide. Gaston answered only by a bow, though his features wore an expression which the Count would not have been well pleased to see if he had interpreted aright. But, continued the latter, we are most apt to chide those whom we love best, as you are aware. I, I am aware, began Monsieur de Bois, trying to calm his indignation, yet experiencing a strong desire to adopt his new method of speaking fluently by using strong interjections. 
the Count changed the subject by asking, "'Did you deliver the letters of which you had the goodness to take charge to the Count d'Amoreau, Madame de Nervac, and Monsieur de Bonneville?' "'Our relatives!' exclaimed Madeleine, unreflectingly. "'Have you forgotten that you will see them tonight at the ball? "'But I beg pardon. Perhaps you had something very important to write about.' "'It was very important,' answered the Count, dryly. "'I imagined so,' remarked Monsieur de Bois. "'By the sensation the letters created, "'Madame de Nevac turned pale, "'and the Count de Moreau turned red, "'and Monsieur de Bonneville gnawed his nails as he was reading. "'Had they the kindness to send answers by you as I requested?' "'Yes,' The object of my early visit was to deliver them. I heard Mademoiselle Madeleine singing as I passed the chalet and paused to pay my respects. He drew forth three letters and placed them in the Count's hand. The latter seized them eagerly and seemed inclined to break the seals at once, but changed his mind and, putting them in his pocket, said, "'Shall I have the pleasure of your company to the chateau?' Monsieur de Bois could not well refuse. He left the chalet with the Count, but, after taking a few steps, apologized for being obliged to return in search of a glove he had dropped. He went back alone. Madeleine was occupied with her needle, as when he left her. There were no traces of tears upon her cheeks. There was no flush, no expression of anger or mortification upon her serene countenance. Monsieur de Bois regarded her a moment in surprise, for he had expected to find her weeping or looking vexed, or, at all events, in a state of excitement. "'Is the Count often in such an amiable temper?' he asked. "'No, do not imagine that. He is evidently troubled today. You saw how preoccupied he was. Something has gone wrong. Something annoys him. He did not mean to be harsh.' "'And you can excuse him?' Well, then I cannot. I felt as though I must speak when he rated you so unreasonably, and if I had spoken, I should certainly have my tongue loosened by swearing. Perhaps I shall yet. Pray, Monsieur de Bois, urged Madeleine, do not try to defend me or allude to what you unfortunately heard. It will only make my position more trying. So I fear... "'But I have something to say to you. "'You have given me good counsels. "'You must listen to some I have to give to you in return. "'But not now. "'You are going to the ball tonight?' "'Yes, certainly. "'Perhaps I may find an opportunity of talking to you there.' "'Saying these words, he picked up the glove "'and hastened to rejoin the Count, "'who was too much absorbed in his own thoughts to remark, on the length of his friend's absence. End of chapter 5